LDB, 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 LDB. Good evening, LDB. It is Sunday, March 13th. I am your host of the podcast, Chris Schutzer, joined by my co-host, the co-commissioner himself, Mr. Matthew Starr. Matt, how are we doing? Yeah, doing well. Excited uh, that that we know that we have a baseball season here. So good good to be back and uh, chatting baseball again. I agree. And we also have Mr. Michael Becker. Michael, how are you doing? Doing great. Good evening, everybody. So, Michael, uh, we were just chatting it up before here, and not only are you our co-host on this uh, show, but I believe you are probably the only, or at least the only that I know of, member of LDB who's playing in a, uh, what are we going to call this, a, a semi-professional baseball league? <laughs> adult men's, emphasis on the adult. So tell me about this. How do we get roped into this league? Sure. So I have a, a colleague at work who plays on five different adult men's leagues. He's probably 50 years old, um, but we bonded over baseball uh, out at a work conference. He says, you got to play for my team. So I've been spending the last several weekends um, out at a practice facility in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, hitting baseballs, wooden bat league, by the way. And bat. Oh yeah, yeah. They want me to pitch. So I've been working out the arm. Uh, taking some cuts, and I, I haven't done this in a long time, but I was so, so, so sore the first week and got a little bit better the next. So hopefully by the time the season comes around in April, I'll be good. So if you're pitching, does that mean you're throwing a fastball and a slow ball? Or like, what do we have? I got one speed, man. I got one speed with some tail. So I'm a lefty, Ooh. and I've got some control. Now they're coming across the plate at like 55 miles an hour. Uh, but the key is that there's some late tail to it that uh, either confuses people maybe twice through the order. And by the third time, they're just knocking it out of the park. That was my high school experience, at least. So up oh, you pitched in high school. Okay. Oh, I pitched about four innings in high school. I pitched against the worst team in the league. And then I pitched against the best team in the league. I think because I was the sacrificial lamb, they didn't want to waste a Chris Curran outing. Uh, knowing that we'd get destroyed by Gaithersburg. So I, I was slower than anything the Gaithersburg boys baseball team was used to. Uh, but yeah, by the second inning, they caught up to me. So that was like an EFIS pitch for them? Probably. Yeah, it was That's straight fun. heat for me. So give me your, uh, your, your top athletic, uh, in baseball at least, uh, moment of your life so far. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you for sure. So um, I played little league baseball and some sort of like a travel team, maybe in seventh grade or so. And we had just a regular season game. And for whatever reason, the local news station came out to do a, a feature on just little league baseball. Um, and so they were filming, this was channel seven news in, in the DC area. They were just filming the game. No particular reason, as far as I knew. And I made maybe the best catch of my life. Uh, I made this like sliding backhanded catch in center field and then had this very dramatic, like held up the ball at the last minute. So we, uh, this of course, like was, was the premier footage. So it, it ended up on channel seven news and we videotaped it. 
um, on, on VHS tapes. And I think we still have it. Now I just need to find a video, uh, a VHS player. Um, but my mom had it. She might have even burned it to a CD, and now that's obsolete. But I'd say that was my 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 best moment. It's been I don't know thirty years. No, probably twenty five years since then. That's awesome. And I, I feel like once we get our website up for this podcast, where we always want to like show stuff, uh, there's no uh, website coming, guys. But uh, if we ever did, uh, our then, TikTok. Yeah, then then I think you know that would have to be one of the first. Uh, First images or, or videos we put up there. I'll, um, I'll recreate it at auction if you'd like to see. <laughs> I would love to see. Some backhanded um, sliding catch. I'd like you to throw the... a ball lightly in your direction. And... <laughs> well, the, the, best, the best part is, um, and now I'm getting all excited. Um, it brings back such a flood of memories. The best part is they, they kind of superimposed the Orioles play-by-play -play announcers on all of the clips so you know there might have been a single to left field and you know it was like um john miller like describing a, a brady anderson single to left field and so when i made the catch it was like a a pro announcer describing i think what had been a kenny lofton catch and it ends with heck of a play <laughs> oh that's amazing I'm, i'll recreate I'm it for sure yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing about this league. I, I want to know, like, when some grandpa strikes you out. Like, we got to hear about the good, the bad, and the ugly here. Oh, it will, it will happen for sure. It'll take a bit to get my bearings, but I have no doubt. It'll, it'll be fun, so long as I don't pull a hamstring. <laughs> uh, one last question on this before we move on and talk about the, uh, the, the stuff at hand that is required to get to after this amazing double-A draft that we just finished up. Did you get to pick your number? If so, what did you pick, and, uh, and why? So I don't have a jersey yet, uh, so I, I'm not sure if I will get to select my number. If I did, it would probably be either eight for Cal Ripken or maybe three. I was I was three all through um, Little League because of Allen Iverson, <laughs> believe it or not, of all the of all the famous threes out there. And one, one of the better baseball players of all time. I yeah. Well, I was I mean, 96 was a, 95, 96 was a big year for Allen Iverson at Georgetown. Uh, so I was a big AI fan back up even before the, his Sixers days. So I'd probably go three in high school. They stuck me with 13. And I, I really didn't, uh, I didn't care for it, but I didn't complain. I was just happy to be on the team. Good. Um, well, we have much to discuss, Mr. Uh, Mr. Number Three. Uh, I hope you get your number. Um, Thank you. So we've just finished the draft um, and it was, it was pretty fun, I would say. It was a nice little uh, island in an otherwise uh, storm of terrible baseball news that has recently ended. Um, Actually, you know what? Let's take a minute on that. We have baseball. Um, do we have any any quick thoughts on that? Star, I'll start with you because I've been making Becker talk pretty much nonstop. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm just happy that it's over. You know, I feel like I, I was riding a wave, a wave of emotions there. I mean, I, I, you know, a week before when they didn't come to an agreement, I, I had felt pretty confident that they were going to come to an agreement by, you know, whatever self-imposed self deadline MLB had set. And then the owners didn't really come up kind of kind of came up a little short there on their offer and tried to fuck the players over and then it looked like for a brief moment there we were in for god knows how long of a lockout this was going to drag on for it looked like you know we were going to lose all of april and who knows how much more and then 
you know, to see things kind of come together on, what was it, Wednesday, ultimately, that they came to the agreement. And now we're going to get a full 162 just starting a week late. That was not what I was expecting. <laughs> I, I thought we were going to get 162, and then I didn't. And then it was kind of nice that that was how it ultimately came out in the end. Um, you know, I don't think the players got the best of deals. I also don't know that they could have done much better given the circumstances. It was kind of interesting to see how the the union reps, I think, all voted against the deal, but all the teams, essentially, a, a vast majority of the teams voted for it, which was a kind of an interesting breakdown, but kind of just seemed like the, you know, the guys wanted to play, you know, regardless of what the deal was. So I don't know. It's not it's not the most exciting thing in the world. I mean, it's great it's great that we're playing baseball. It was, you know it could have been better for the players in the end, but you know it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, Becker. Before I turn it over to you, just if you have any thoughts on it, it's interesting because I remember talking on this podcast with the two of you about your optimism and about the market's optimism that we would avoid this situation. And uh, I didn't share it, but I didn't I didn't counter it either. I didn't feel strongly that that you guys would end up being wrong. I think what I feel I've learned from this process, just the vitriol that the owners have for the the player's ability to negotiate is just, and also maybe their lack of love for the game. I mean, it's definitely worth looking at down the line, but it's, I find it upsetting. I'm glad we're going to get a 162. I'm glad we can put this out of our heads for five years, but I have absolutely no confidence that we won't be doing this exact same dance again. I, I just think they have lost sight. The owners have of uh, the generation of my children. Right. Like of like anyone who's under 15 just does not care about baseball in the way that I think they think that people always will. So we'll see how that turns out. Becker, any quick thoughts before we turn to our own draft? Sure. I was, I was pretty wrong. I, I expected them really to come to a deal uh, by kind of that self-imposed deadline. Um, and when they didn't do that, I think that was maybe the, a Sunday night or it might have bled into Monday where there was a ton of optimism. And I felt like it's all fallen into place. And then there was this drop dead, take it or leave it offer. And that, that got summarily dismissed. And I was like, oh man, this could, this could take a long time or at least longer than I thought. I'm glad we're back. Um, I'm, I'm even more glad that we're normalizing you know, the, the nine inning double headers. There's no more ghost runner on second base. Um, the injured list is getting back to 15 days. So it feels like some of the experimental stuff that we went through in 2020 and even 2021 is back into a more uh, you know palatable place. So I think that's one of the nice byproducts. Yeah, I think this year, rules-wise, is going to be fairly normal, with the exception of the DH going back in the NL. But I think what is it starting next year? We're going to see all the weird pitch clock and shift stuff and that and whatnot. So I'm curious to see how that ultimately impacts things, but. 2022 will be a fairly normal season from a rules perspective, I think. Cool. Uh, well, I think we're going to talk about this a lot more when Sean gets back, because I know it's a big topic that he's interested in. So why don't we table it there for now? Do you guys feel uh, a little gamey right now? Because I was thinking I have a nice little segue into talking about the draft by uh, seeing which one of you remembers the draft better. Uh, it's a very quick exercise. I'm going to ask for your uh, your participation uh, by not cheating. So if you have the draft list up, put it away. Um, Becca, you're going to go first, and it's just going to go back and forth between the two of you. Let's see do it. If you can correctly identify the draft picks until one of you makes a mistake. Okay. Uh, that way, for our listeners, we're going to get an intro into what happened in the first round. 
until I interrupt when somebody gets one wrong. Um, so, Becker, you get the first pick. That's the layup. Uh, we're just going down the list, huh? Yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna go one through the point where one of you makes a mistake. All right. <laughs> all right. This will so, probably so end Becker, quick, but uh, I know I know Neo selected Anthony Volpe. All right, star. And I did confirm it isn't tied to Volpe. Uh, I think did Mark take Jordan Walker and Marcelo Mayer? Uh, well, you, that, you, in you, which order? In which order? <laughs> He did do both of those in that order, but now you have to name number four because you just gave Becker number well, three. <laughs> well, four was four was my pick, so I'll just do four also because four was Sam Suzuki. So uh, there we go. Let's, let's knock the, let's knock all those out here. Only right. give me a give me a hint. Who had the fifth pick? The fifth pick was uh, was Sean George Kirby. There you go. All right, I think that's actually fair. I'm going to keep giving. Yeah, you that will help. Player. All right. So that number six, the 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 pick was drafted by Mark. Oh man, I feel like we're already. We're, I'm already like, geez, who did Mark take sixth? It's tough because Mark drafted, I think, 29 players. <laughs> was it, was it Daniel Espino? Did he go? It sixth? was. It was. Oh wow, the game is still rolling. Wow. All right. I would not so, have gotten that. I would have picked a different Mark player. So we are. Well, you're going to have to pick uh, a Nate player next with number seven. I feel like this should be a Met. I'll give you a hint and say you are right. It's a Met. Uh, oh, wait a second. Hold on. Why am I blanking? Is it? It's not Francisco Alvarez. He went last year. Um, man, who the hell is it? Uh, maybe it's Francisco Alvarez. It is not. It is it's, not. It, it's it was, Brett. It's Brett Beatty. I believe. Right. Okay. It's, yeah. All right, but that all gives right. us a nice pause point. We just went through seven picks, all right? I'll, I'll name them back for you again. Uh, Volpe, Walker, Mayer, Suzuki, Kirby, Espino. And uh, I thought it was Batty, but apparently it's Beatty. I'm glad. I, I don't know. know. I, 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 that, I, I'm just guessing there. I have no idea how, how you pronounce that name. I just want it so badly to be Batty because he's really good with the bat. But I guess maybe maybe it's not. Um, any picks in there that you guys really loved that you want to you want to highlight? I mean, the beginning of the draft is the beginning of the draft. It's it's a little less strategic, I feel. I don't know. I feel like I can't talk. I picked, I made one of those picks, so uh. <laughs> I, I, I'll I'll talk about say Suzuki. I, I mean, it it follows a trend of Star going for the most MLB ready um, uh, bat. And I think that's it's definitely a good strategy. Um, it, this was a really interesting draft, and I think the top the top three or four, maybe even five, had I think was pretty consistent. Like those are, in my mind at least, those were the the clear top picks. I feel like everywhere, maybe beginning with with Beatty, on down, they weren't bad picks. I, but the draft was so deep that if you had told me that those were picks twenty to twenty five. I would have believed you as well. So I think I think it reflects the depth of this draft. Um, but but there was a clear top top five in my mind. Yeah. So yeah, I, 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 if you don't mind, sorry, I'm just going to jump in quick. Like Cardinals knowledge here. Um, the way that folks are talking about Walker has me believing that he will end up being the number one talent in this draft. And I know I'm on, I'm I'm alone in that. I don't think too many people really believe that but the comp that everybody is making is a young Troy Gloss and I think that if he sticks at third and he's stealing 20 bases and has the potential to hit 40 home runs like that's not 
a guy that comes around at that position very frequently. The power is real, um, and the debut was insane. So, you know, he has a long way to go, but that is a that's a fun comp. I I wasn't hearing Troy Kloss's name very frequently, and then to hear it from five different people, somebody said it, and it stuck. But um, I love Jordan Walker. I think that that that's going to be a, a, a really good pick. Yeah, I, but I I had to me what was a clear top three in this draft actually, which was was both the Suzuki and Walker and whatever order you want to put them in. And I thought, you know, Marcelo Meyer is great, but he's, what, 19 years old and has barely played in the minor leagues yet. And so I want to see a little bit more there. Um, But those three, to me, really stood out. You know, Walker, for all the reasons you just said, Volpe, just kind of for the combination of like ceiling and floor and Suzuki for readiness. And after that, I think you're right. Becker, like it just there's there was a ton of talent, and I didn't think you know there was a there was a tier of I don't know you could probably say fifteen to twenty guys that could have gone in really any order, you know Mayor from from a prospect list standpoint clearly stood ahead, but I wonder how much of that is just kind of defensive position and and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be you know the top four fantasy value from this list from this draft when all is said and done. I thought one of the interesting um, aspects of this draft too was the talent level of guys either uh, probably still in high school. And we, I'm not sure if we've had a, a high school class this heralded probably since I've been in the league in 2018. We've had good high school players uh, who it was clear they'd be, you know, they could be selected. But to have three of them, to have Tamar, Tamar Johnson, um, Drew Jones, uh, Elijah Green went last year, but at least to have Tamar and Drew Jones uh, really added an interesting mix. I, I was it was kind of a fascination of mine to see when those guys would go. I if I had a top ten pick, I probably would have selected them in the top ten, but that also is passing up a lot of established, really strong minor league talent. So that that's one thing that I was looking for in this draft, where they would go. Yeah, I, I, I will say I don't, we don't have to go that far back. I think C.J. Abrams, Bobby Witt, Riley Green, who all I think went in the top six of that draft three years ago, is also like pretty comparable. Though Riley Green at the time was not, at the time of our draft, was not heralded in that way. But by the time the MLB draft came around, it was very clear that, that those three were equivalent. No, Bobby Witt, I took with the third to last pick of that draft. Yeah, no, and I took C.J. Abrams in the third round too. But I, I, I think you know, it, it those by the time this is this is what I'm saying. At the time we drafted, it was a it was tough to get a read on it. But by the time the MLB draft came around two three months later, it was very clear that that was in that we had an insane high school class. Yeah, but yeah, I think at the time the LBB draft, I think you're right. I think Jones and Tamar Johnson and then and um, Elijah Green, who you took last year, I think. Just it's also a weak college class. I think it, they stand out a little bit more because it's one of the weaker college classes that we've seen in some time. So we have three high school guys at the top. So it's interesting though, Becker, that you said you would have taken uh, Tamar Johnson or Drew Jones in the top ten had you had a pick. For me, I was sitting there at thirteen and I felt very confident I was going to get Tamar Johnson. I, I I knew everybody knew he was there and and worthy of in that range. I just didn't think that somebody was going to bite at that that early in part because the last time I saw a, a high school back go 
that early in one of the LDB drafts. It was Brandon Rogers, I think. And um, also taken by Jervy. And that one, I think at the time, we all were like, yeah, he's going to be great, but it's a long way to go. And he took him in the first round. And then Brendan Rodgers wasn't great. So, like, you know, when, when they're this far away for a first-round talent, it's it's tough. But I was ready to do it for Jamar Johnson um, just because of the hit tool. So, Jorvi, you snipe me. I'm going to have to beat you up later. But for now, uh, enjoy him. Um, shall we just read off the, the rest of the first round? I'll just do that real quick, and then you guys can comment on anybody you want to. Is that all right? All right, we're going with it. Yeah, that's um, good. So we, we hit the, the beginning of the catcher run after that. There was uh, Moreno, Soderstrom, Vargas, Jamar Johnson, as we've been talking about. Khalil Watson went 12, Reed Detmers 13, Yuri Perez 14, Brady House 15, Aaron Ashby 16, and then Diego Cartaya at 17. So anything of note for, for the two of you in there? You know, I, I, I hate to, oh, sorry, Becca put his hand up right as I started talking. I, I hate I hate to immediately talk shit about Ryan Hughes, but what are we doing? What are we doing taking two catchers? Like, you know, I, they're great. They're good catcher prospects, but why why were two catchers taken in in consecutive picks in the first round? There, there's so much talent out there to take Moreno and Cartaya. Both did not make a lot of sense to me. Moreno, I felt like kind of was overdrafted to begin with. Um, I don't know. It, there, there were a lot of catchers out here, and he was not in the top three catchers that I I would have had on my list. Um, and uh, the, to take him, and then to take uh, take him at what is it eight, and then to take Cartaya nine picks later at seventeen, I thought was a, a an odd choice. Very uh, Jeff Peterson move there. Uh, you know. <laughs> They got you know you know you got I don't know if loading up on on uh, catcher prospects is really like a, a winning strategy <laughs> from what I've seen in the history of LTB. Hey, Keith Law really likes Gabriel Moreno, and he has for a while, so he's he's got a lot of hype, um, and you know he seems like a very hit first catcher. Uh, I, I I noticed Aaron Ashby as just the prototypical Brophy pick. Uh, I, I knew even before he chose Aaron Ashby that he was going to take Aaron Ashby in that selection. I think that has the potential to be really, really, really good pick. Um, he he could his projection projections for this year are insane, and I like the ability that Brophy now has to kind of harbor him in the minors for a little bit, see if uh, how he's being used in Milwaukee, see whether he's starting, see whether he's a swing guy. I think that's a pick where he gets a lot of options out of it. Yuri Perez is a name that's getting a lot of helium. Uh, the, the Marlins folks really, really like him. Um, and that always gets my attention when the front office, kind of like you were saying with Walker, uh, puts put some big comps on, or you can kind of read between the lines when they really like somebody. And I feel like they really like Yuri Perez. And Reed Detmers, uh, your pick, Chris, has the potential to be a really solid choice. I know um, pitchers, when they first make their major league debut, sometimes it, it's not a great fantasy play and it takes them a few months. Not many hit the ground running, but I think um, Reed Detmer has probably got a few months out of his system and could have the potential to be a, a have a good year. I know he was considered the most major league ready prospect, pitching prospect last year, 
And so I'd like to think that works out for you. I'm excited about him. Um, I, I tried to stay flexible going at, into that pick at 13. Uh, I don't think he has the highest of ceilings, but I think he's going to return value. And I wanted somebody who was going to help me with, with a return of value at that pick uh, and, and not have to wait super long for him. That said, you know, since the since the picks went, I know I took him 13 in house at 15. I'm, I'm I find myself more uh, weirdly excited about house and the potential of what house could be if that hits. Uh, just having that kind of power at shortstop excites me a lot. For me, though, um, the pick I wanted to highlight was uh, I'm, I'm glad we actually got to cover almost everybody here was Khalil Watson. Um, I really started to fall in love with Khalil Watson uh, and was disappointed he wasn't on the board for me. I know, again, another player who's really far away, but just so many shortstop prospects that just have really high ceilings. Um, and I'm excited to see where that one goes. So, Yeah, Becker, I wanted to say on Ashby, um, I think the fact that he's with the Brewers gives me more optimism than if he was in another system just looking at you know, what they've done with guys who were not necessarily super heralded prospects like Brandon Woodruff and, and Freddie Peralta, who they broke in as relievers and, you know, are stars now. And, and Corbin Burns, I mean, he, he at least was a top 100 guy, but, you know, all three of those guys are, you know, they, they've just had a stellar track record in recent years of developing guys. And so, you know, I feel like Ashby has the potential to follow in that, in the, the footsteps of, those guys just because of what they've done with guys who are maybe not as heralded, you know, and when they were coming up through the minor leagues as a lot of the other pitching prospects were. I wonder how many innings he gets this year. That's the only thing about Ashby. And and to your point, Becker, it, it doesn't matter for Brophy. He's got such a deep farm and he knows how to do this. He right. Knows. I mean, I think, I, I think Ashby probably comes starts the year as a relief pitcher. I mean, they have a, unless there's, a, unless there's an injury, I mean, he's, he's probably, the sixth starter to start the year and kind of comes in like a middle relief role. But that's that's how Corbin Burns started the, the 2020 season. And, you know, ultimately <laughs> was fine. <laughs> did not really, but did not really prove to be much of a, a detriment. And Freddie Peralta also you know, was a reliever in 2020 and didn't seem to face him in terms of how that worked out for, for Freddie Peralta. So, yeah, I, think, I don't think it's a big deal. Unless you really want him to be a guy for this year. And I think yeah. Brophy has the, like you said, Brophy has the ability to be patient there. Yeah, and, I, and he will. Um, in the interest of time, I think we should move on to the second round, unless there's anything more that the two of you really want to highlight. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna shift the way this game goes because it would be absolutely absurd to try to get you to name all the, the players from the second round in order. But we're gonna shake it up. I'm just gonna talk at our listeners for a second while the two of you are gonna get out a pencil and, and piece of paper, or you can just use your computer. Uh, and just type away at the computer. And I'm going to give you 30 seconds to write down as many names as were drafted in the second round as possible. Then I'm going to read the list, and you guys are going to uh, circle the ones you got right and tell us what was your score. We'll see who wins. Sound fair? Good. Let's do it. So your, your time starts now. You have 30 seconds. Uh, and uh, during those 30 seconds, I'm going to talk about the fact that uh, I wish we had a draft, uh, a single round of this draft in the middle of the year. Um, it will never happen. I don't think that we could actually pull that off. But how am I doing it? Just talking at this computer screen to buy them some time. I think I'm doing all right. I want that round because I think it would actually force us all to read the, uh, the stuff in the middle of the year just on who was doing well. And uh, that's been your 30 seconds, guys.
pencils. Oh, I got I, I got five names down. Just a great time there. Oh, I got four. <laughs> I, I think I, you, unless you unless you somehow slipped a third rounder in, Star, I think you're going to win this one. All right. Well, here we go. We had uh, Nick York, Jeremy Pena, Colton Cowser, uh, uh, Drew Jones, Yamamoto, uh, Contreras, Melendez, uh, Arias, Christian Hernandez, Henry Davis, Jace Jung, uh, Kyle Harrison. We're almost there. Uh, Christian uh, Vaquero, Cade Cavalli, Nick Prado. Chase Delater. Or sorry, I'm not saying his name. The right. water. water. The water, I think, yeah. All right, so so who did you get, Star? We'll start with you since you're claiming five. Uh I, I said uh Prado. I said I wrote down I wrote down Yoshinobu, not Yamamoto. I wrote down his first name, but you know, close enough. <laughs> and you got that. your own. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. I uh I, I wrote I had Arias, Melendez, and Davis. Those were the five that I had. All right, Becker, what were your what were your four? And Pena, Kauser, Melendez, and DeLauder. All right. So maybe our intro into the second round is, did you remember the names that you thought were good picks? Becker, I'm starting with you. No, not necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no really. I didn't. Uh, how about you, Star? No, I don't think I really did. I, I, I feel like I remembered the names of the guys that I was interested in, and then also Arias, who stuck out to me as a guy because that was the first guy who came off the board that i was like i don't know who that is i've never heard of that person uh i find that you know having done this enough years now that the second round is always the one where i'm like a bunch of guys got taken i don't know and then the third round is when we all get desperate we're like we're running out of picks we got to get our names in so weirdly the second round ends up being sort of nondescript to me um but i i had a couple picks i wanted to highlight so maybe i'll we can do that we can all pick on a couple guys that we were really impressed with the value um star i know you and i don't see eye to eye on uh on the value of uh nick york um i think his floor is so good and i think second base tends to be a wasteland in fantasy um i really like him and i think actually we're all going to look at the fact that he was a second round pick and we're gonna and we're gonna think this is not a fair comp and actually like baseball player status, but I feel like we looked at Alex Bregman in a draft like this very similarly, where we were like, good hit tool. I don't think he's going to run that much. You know, he's still a decent length away from major leagues at this time. Like, I don't know. And then Bregman just sort of exploded with the hit tool. Like, I think Nick York has that kind of potential where he could be like a 25 home run from second base, maybe 30 if things really pan out. Um, and you know Fenway's a good place to play for a guy like that. So I think Sean got a steal there uh, with the first pick and second round. I feel like you're talking about York like he dropped like the 40th pick. He was like the 18th pick in this draft. Like that was well, that was exactly where he should have gone in my mind. Like that, well, I don't think he was over or underrated. He was in fact properly rated. I think York could have gone as as early as pick 10. That's that's where I I was starting to consider him. Um, and you know, I I think that in terms of his prospect status across the list, he was he was pretty consistently high, and we downgraded him, and I think that's interesting. Um, we tend to do that, I think, as a league when a guy doesn't have a ton of power, uh, and and certainly if they don't have that much uh, stolen base threat and no power, but he has some power. He's just more of a hit tool guy. Yeah, uh, I will say compare that to a guy who didn't get drafted, who I think was 
I don't know. I mean, I there's differences in the in in the profiles, but Bryson Stott didn't get drafted at all, and I don't know that Bryson Stott and Nick York are that different of prospects, honestly. And Stott went undrafted completely, and you know that and York went 18th. And if they if if Bryson Stott has a better career than Nick York, I'm not going to be at all surprised. Fair. Uh, before I turn it over to the two of you, the other one I just want to quickly highlight was MJ Melendez. Um, he led the minor leagues in home runs last year. I'm sure at this point you already all know that. He's all, obviously also blocked by Sal Perez. Um, super curious to see what happens there, but there's a really good chance that Brophy got a steal. Uh, if he ends up playing catcher and uh, or you know having sort of the Dalton Varsho treatment where he plays enough catcher to get that eligibility and they put him somewhere, um, and he's hitting bombs, that could be a really, really good pick. Um, so, Becker, how about you? Any Anything stand out about the second round? Yeah, second round went in so many interesting directions. Uh, you know, not many of these were my guys or players that I would draft, which does not may, uh, mean they weren't good selections. Um, I really expected this round to be chock full of the Nick Prado's uh, the Bryson Stotts, the Vinny Pascotinos, really the the AAA guys on the cusp of making um, the majors who could have who could turn into good ball players, but instead, I mean Drew Jones, I think was a, a solid pick. I know Ro Ronzi Contreras kind of fits that mold of a AAA guy who got a taste, but we had some real young guys in Arias and Hernandez go. Um, Jace Jung was the first college player off the board which I found really interesting. He's, he's certainly a top 10 um, college player, but there were a couple that I had identified um, who I might've chosen before, including DeLauder. DeLauder was on my radar, although he's gotten off to kind of a, a rough start to the college season. Um, but it's, it was, I, I was continually surprised by the second round in kind of fun, fun ways. And I think you can read into and see into, you know, everyone's picks, something different and, and that's what i found interesting yeah i mean I, I don't want to call anyone out specifically here but i feel like the second round is kind of where things went off the rails a little bit just and, and it was i think because people treated it like it was the normal second round of a draft and i think did not necessarily appreciate the quantity of minor league like high-end minor league talent out there and people started going digging deep for you know the Arias and Vaquero and and um and Hernandez and and some of the college guys who were not at the top of my college <laughs> college guy list um ahead of established minor leaguers and I thought that was a little weird because that the result of that was you saw a lot of guys who I thought we're going to go in like, you know, late first, early second round ended up dropping to the, you know, late second, early third, because a bunch of guys like that got drafted in my mind a little earlier than they should have. And it was, but, you know, I mean, who, who am I to really say how this, you know, talent's going to pan out? I have no idea, but I just think in terms of comparing the amateur and like the teenage talent to kind of normally what we see, out there at this point in the draft it didn't match up to me there were so many more top 100 consensus top 100 guys available this year than we've had and i don't even know how long and i feel like it was kind of a missed opportunity for folks to miss some of these guys um for 
you're reaching on on a handful of some of these younger players who I think we don't know enough about at this point to to say that they should have gotten drafted when they did. Becker, what do you think about that? I agree. I, I'm looking at picks 40 to 49. And if you told me 40 to 49 was uh, 19 to 27, I would have said great picks. I mean, I'm, we can get into the third round in a moment, but I'm looking at Michael Harris, Joey Weimer, Oswald Peraza, Bobby Miller, who I liked a lot, Jackson Job, who I know Star likes, Joe Ryan, Andy Pagues, um, Gonzalez was an interesting one, college player, and Triantos and Mayo. Like these, these are the guys that I expected to go in the second round because they're established top 100 guys and, and close to the majors. Um, and I, I felt like some of the second rounders who were very young traditionally go in the third round. Which yeah, is, not, I mean, you, you get your guys, right? That's what this exercise is. If you really like somebody, the fun of this draft is to see, uh, see them through their entire career. And so I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, ding anyone, anybody for selecting someone that they really liked. Uh, but if you're, you're simply talking about value, and what could have been available, especially given all the trades taking place, I feel like you could have some some guys could have waited for those those names. I want to take a moment and actually talk about the trades that were made, and I think the second round gives us the yin and the yang of Mark and Anton, which we really need to talk about. So, um, I think we should start with Anton's side of this. Anton, I think, went full rebuild here, uh, and and honestly, it was probably the right move for him. I think he's looking at a division. And a league, honestly, where he's he just doesn't have a huge chance. Um, he turned over a lot of players this year. He spent thirty-five million on two picks, uh, and then had four picks in a row. Okay, I actually loved his Rokio pick. I think Rokio is underrated. Um, what do you guys think of what Anton did? Uh, Anton did just spending the cash to just basically get it, a jump start on the reset. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know that he necessarily had to do this. You know, there, there were two teams when I kind of did my projections that would have said, like, these teams are, are totally screwed for this year. And he was not one of them. I would have said that was, that was Sean and, and that was uh, and Ray. And, but Anton was, I think, 13th or 14th in there with Mark, whose team is that exercise doesn't really evaluate properly. So I get it, because it's kind of a similar spot to where I was a few years ago, like sell when you have talent to sell and you're a long shot. Um, you know, he he basically decided to eat it on the season. And I think, you know, it's 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 he made fine moves. You know, on the flip side, I like what Mark did. I like you know, Mark kind of was like, I've made enough picks, I have enough prospects, let's let's flip the script and and start actually trying to build a team. The team like Just printing money. Man, that was an impressive, uh, yeah, impressive series of trades. I, I will turn this back over to talk about Mark in just one second. I, I, I do want to bring up one thing about the strategy because it's different. I don't know if it's better or worse, but it's different. Straight up buying the picks as opposed to spending that money on a player that you can then trade. Do you think the return on value is greater just buying the two picks now? Or is it better to you know see if you can get trying to think 35 million in a, in a past draft here uh you know uh, jose ramirez was a 35 million yeah so you get a jose ramirez. Years ago, can, you, right. can you turn that around into into a better return because that's an interesting strategy that anton took and i i don't hate it i think in this draft of all drafts it actually makes some sense 
um, because the talent level was really great. And I think getting those picks, you could do it. Um, but just before we move off, like, what, do you do you like that strategy? I like the strategy that you just described of getting the the best guy at auction and flipping them. That's what I did. Uh, that's why I tried to do an 18. It's what I did in 19 with bets. Uh, so it's, but that's a really concerted strategy and it involves uh, probably obtaining RFAs in advance, surveying who has money, who's decided to tank, who's buying. And I think you look at somebody like Mark with $240 million already, and you look at somebody like Sean um, and Ian, who will probably be going after, maybe not Ian, but other in Dubner who will be going after those high price players and becomes a, maybe a little less effective or less of a sure thing. So you feel like with eight picks, one or two of them must hit. Um, so it could, I, I didn't talk to Anton about it. I think it's, it, it's certainly a strategy and uh, in, in doing it the way you described might've been a little more challenging this year. More challenging and also riskier because if the player gets hurt before you swap them. Yeah. Like there's, you know, the inherent risk that you come up with nothing, but, um, all right, Star, unless you have burning thoughts, let's switch over to, to the other side of this coin. Um, I, I just I just wanted to say, you know, I like what Anton did. I think I think there's risks and rewards in both situations. I think in this draft, given who was on the board at the time, I fully support what Anton, the decision Anton made, to, decided to make. If, you, if you're going to tank this year, this was the time to do something like this. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, here's our last little game that I prepared for you. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna play we're gonna do this prices right style. You're both gonna write down a number. How much money does Mark have to spend at auction? You both have ten seconds. And we're gonna say that uh, we're gonna say that the players that he's put on the board actually uh, we're not gonna un undo that. Like it's just how much money does he have left for the remaining spots that he has not yet filled? All right, Becker, you're first. Two hundred and forty-two million. All right, two hundred forty-two million. Uh, I, I was going to go with a cool two fifty. Two two fifty. The correct answer is two forty-eight ninety-one. <laughs> Ooh, oh, I went over. Yeah, If we were playing by price and right rules, I actually should have just said one dollar higher than Becker said. That would have been. I, yeah, that, that was going to be unfair. I was actually asking you to write them down. So under, anyway, it didn't really matter. But it's uh, funny you you raised this question because I was literally texting with Mark. Yesterday, the day before, where I, for the first time I actually saw his draft board and I saw what I thought was 242 million. Uh, so he either, he, 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 I'm sure it was 248 and I just got it wrong, but uh, for whatever reason, 242 stuck in my head. Oh, I know yeah. why. I knew why it was 242. It was 242 because you looked at it when he had 242 and then you swapped him $6 million. <laughs> And a third, <laughs> third year, which it very nicely at two forty-eight. And yes, there's, all right. Uh, I I should get credit for that. No, you get. No <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we got to the bottom of this. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Mark has a ton of money, but he has a lot of roster spots that need to be filled on, on the flip side. So you know there. Mark can spend like it, it looks like an absurd amount of money, but then he's going to buy one guy and he's going to have like a very normal amount of money again. All right. Well, I think it was either Sean or, or Ian. I honestly can't remember who who emailed the league and said, today is the day we're going to think that uh, Mark started his dynasty. Uh, agree or disagree? 
I agree. I mean, it's it, it's time. I think he's got the capital. He's got the, the minor league talent, and he can really just name his price at auction for some really good players. Whether it's two pitchers, whether it's uh, Trout if he's in there, um, really anyone he wants, he can go get him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the first indication he's given in years that he's not just drafting prospects till the end of time. <laughs> uh, without any real end game in mind, so I, you know, I, I think it's a little scary for everyone to know that, you know, I mean, he knows that he can do this. He knows that he knows that he can turn those. You know, he turned, he sold four picks in the end for, you know, fifty six million, and you know, a, a third round pick in the end, something like that. So you know, that his the fact that he he can and then finally did do that is pretty scary should be scary for the rest of us well i i want to take my moment to say you know i am the one who coined the white walker concept with him and i'm, I'm going to give another one now i think mark is the bank of ldb and it's not just because he has this kind of money right now it's because it, his money is making more money now right with this kind of money it's actually very easy for him to buy picks at auction and then just let them get to next year and do it again and sell the prospects. I mean, when you get to that kind of a juggernaut of future value, it starts making money on its own because we want what he has and he's the only one who can give it to us. So, you know, the only other person who I think of who's, who's ever successfully created a bank of LDB is Brophy. And he does, it, he does it in a very different way. He just, you know, it's very rare that Brophy has a straight up miss. It happens. It happens. The last time I was as excited about a player uh, as I was um, uh, with uh, Dylan Cruz this year um, was Corey Ray. And he took him and, and that did not pan out. So I'm hoping that Dylan, Dylan Cruz uh, does the Corey Ray. And, and I feel good that I didn't take him, even though I really, really, really am sad today. Um, but for the most part, you know, this, this bank of LDB thing, I got off track. Um, I worry about it, and I'm also super excited about it. Um, you guys agree with me? This like it makes money on itself. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's doubling it. He's doubling it and doubling it again, uh, which I think is kind of a skill in itself. Uh, I know Mark likes it. the The challenge now is to just turn it into something else, which is the game we all play. Um, and I, I think he, I think he has that skill, and he will demonstrate it very soon. But um, just, I mean, just doubling it, doubling it, doubling it, doubling it. I was, I was very impressed. Star, anything you want to say, or should we just move on? Yeah, I and mean, it, it's, it's, it's proven to you know, it, nobody has ever had the patience to you know just tank. I don't know how many years in a row, in a row, ended up being. No one's had that sort of patience, and now we're going to see kind of what what that turns out, what what that looks like when you when when you turn that into actual productivity, and uh, it could be scary. I think it will be scary, um, and I think he has so much value to trade from that it, it will be a dynasty for quite some time. Um, so we'll see. I'm scared he's in my division. Um, all right, we did sort of start to talk about round three, but I think there's more to say. So no more games. Uh, Becker, anything you want to highlight about players in the third you were really excited to see? I'm finally, uh, I was happy to finally get into the draft. I had no picks until I traded into pick 48 to take uh, James Triantos, who I held in pretty high regard. Uh, but there, 
besides that, uh, some names I like. I, I liked Dylan Lesko a lot, uh, but more so I, I think I liked the um, the minor league guys who are close to the majors, like uh, Pagues. I like Bobby Miller a lot. Um, Kobe Mayo's been getting a lot of buzz, and then Michael Harris has a lot of buzz, and Joey Weimer as well. So those that that group, as I said before, from 40 to – 49 i think we could look back and suddenly like the the best crop has come from the end of the third round the guys had 31 homers in the minors last year i was it's, guys it's it's pie let's, let's get oh, the, let's okay. set the records right here right. so pies had had uh 31 homers in the minors last year i was, I was kind of stunned that he was there for me so i that is the one like good boon that came to me in this one uh was that he was there um but I promised myself I wouldn't spend money in this draft, and then I did. I spent four million to trade up, and I promised myself that I would exit this draft with either Tamar Johnson or, and hopefully both, uh, Dylan Cruz, and I got neither. So I get an zero for two on on my goals. Um, but yeah, I star. Do you agree with the third round being really awesome? I, I would say uh, I would put strong money on uh, the third round just being straight up better than the second round i would take the 17 player the 16 players who went in the third round over the 16 players who went in the second round and it, i actually don't even think it's close uh that was so many guys who fell further than i had them falling and expected them to fall how do we uh, bet on this? Like, how do we? I don't. Yeah, know. I don't. I don't know how you do that, but it, it just you know that's just kind of how you know that that's you know if I was doing a prospect ranking, so many of the guys in the third round would rank higher than a lot of the guys who went in the second. Uh, but that's also just me. I mean, I value uh, proximity, I think, more than some. But you know, I think there were also just like obvious guys, like Jackson Job is not close to the majors, but like just given. You know, there, there's not a whole lot of difference between Jackson Job, who went 44th overall, and Yuri Perez, who went 14th. Like, like there's no you, you can't really justify one over the other, and yet 30 spots differentiated those two, and I don't really get it. Uh, a lot of there was a lot of that kind of stuff that happened here in this in this draft in general. Fair enough, Michael. All right. Sounds like we're we're finishing up our thoughts on this draft. Um, it was, I think it was another really successful one. It was a good bit slower than we're used to, but I don't know that that was a bad thing given the, the lockout either, because it gave us something to just sort of drag out and pay attention to. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, I've tried to make peace with the pace of this draft and try, you know, for, for years and years and years. Obviously, it bothered me how slow things went. And a couple of years ago, I just decided I'm not going to get stressed out about this anymore. <laughs> Good mindset. I actually it, it, because because it does it, it does nothing but harm me. And and it and so I I chilled out about it, and it was fine. I I was totally okay with the draft going as slow as it was. If I'd had a pick at the end of the third round, I probably would have driven me crazy. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a problem. I actually think it was kind of nice. Um, it lasted uh, a little over a week, right? But I, I, I think it gave me something to just constantly be paying attention to, which was nice. Um, and I enjoyed that. So much more time for trades. I think part of the reason that we saw so many more trades was we were taking our time with it. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with that because if you know that there's always going to be the ability to reach out to the guy who's on the clock, if you really want something, then you can make it happen. One perception I had though, uh, I think everyone understood this draft to be chock full of talent, but when it came time to making picks, say in the second round or late first round, even, uh, nobody seemed to be really dead set on a guy. It was just understood. All right. I, I'm willing to trade down and I know trading down happens in, in every draft, but it, uh, it seemed kind of more prevalent in this one. Uh, so I'm, I don't know if there is anything to that or whether you all had a similar impression, but it seemed like this is one draft where there were fewer uh, owners dead set on taking a particular player and more owners who were just like, I'll trade, give me two picks in the third round. You can have my second rounder and I'll take whoever falls. Um, I think it reflects a lot of talent, which I, I didn't appreciate how much talent that this draft had, at least when I traded my two picks a few weeks ago. And I think next year's draft is going to have uh, just as much, if not more, maybe. Uh, there are a lot of guys that fell through the cracks, so well, and a lot will emerge. So those are just kind of the last impressions that I had. What? Yeah, no, I, to I totally agree with that. I, I, I think that I think a lot of it came down to the fact that there was a lot of talent, and it wasn't like necessarily like a clear consensus order of the guys available and so it just kind of felt like oh well i have this list of 15 guys and i have the 15th pick like i'll just drop down to 29 and one of those 15 guys is still going to be there you know like and, and that wasn't a big deal yeah i i i'm going to credit sean with this thought um because it was the one last thing i really wanted to make sure we talked about we didn't have as much minor league baseball Part of the reason why this 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 draft was so stocked is we had a one round draft as opposed to the regular three. Right. The flip side to that coin, I keep using that phrase tonight, but the flip side to that coin is there wasn't a lot of baseball for us to watch to get to the point where we knew who should be in the top hundred. It if this one ends up being really wrong, I think it's going to point to something in the industry that I kind of want to talk about at some point, which is how do these lists end up with the crossbreeding where they all end up with the same guys? Is it actually that it's that easy to be like? Yes, in Major League Baseball, this guy's better than that one. Or is it that, you know, there's some peeking over the, the other guy's shoulder at, you know, what they've written down on the test on some level and, you know, figured out who's good. And uh, and then they all come up with some vague similar list um, where we end up with how many players were only on one of the top 50s. Like, that's the point I'm trying to make here. It's it's just there's a lot of crossbreeding. So there is a possibility, I think, that, that a lot more names will emerge and that some of these names will be not as good as we think they are. If you listen to them discuss their lists, they say there's no peaking. I think part of this, and I, I tend to believe them, although there's probably some groupthink, I think part of this is uh, they have the same sources. So the, exactly. the scouts that are eager to talk to prospect writers, uh, there's probably a, a small collection of them um, they think similarly about certain guys. That would be my, without knowing anything, that would be my, uh, my take. Yeah. I, I was going to say something very similar. I think that that's exactly what it is, is, is that there's, there's similar sources, uh, that guys are using, um, you know, I, I and I, I think there's also just like some consensus, at least when it comes to the guys at the top, where it's just like kind of hard to deny, like the, the tools are just out of this world. But yeah, I think I think you nailed it, Becker, with the fact that there are, there's similar sources here. 
I think I still have prospect eligibility. If I really excel in Ponce de Leon, um, <laughs> men's 30 and over with 55-year-olds on the mound, um, I might start creeping up the list. I might have to put a bug in some scouts here to have him then disseminate that info to Keith Law. That's how I, I end up on the list next year. I want to know how you know what your war is, uh, and 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 what is the age of the replacement level player? Negative <laughs> negative five, and chances are good the guy coming off the bench to replace me when I tear my hamstring is like sixty years old. Yeah. Over the course of the season, Becker put up a negative sixteen war, and there were only sixteen games. <laughs> uh, well, there will be more to talk about on this front as as the season goes on. I'm sure. I, I did very briefly just want to talk about a couple of guys who didn't get drafted that I was very surprised about. Um, if, if, if that's okay, I know I usually put together a list like this. I didn't do it yet, but Jose Miranda was the one who really stood out to me. Is like, you know, I mean, he's not the most exciting of of prospects, but like, you know, I, I see a guy in Jose Miranda who's, you know, going to be like a you know a 12 to 15 million dollar bat in the future and then you know he, the ceiling probably is not much higher than that but like he looks like ty france and ty france is a very good player and i think that's he's ty france who's going to be up in the majors this year it's kind of surprised you know that someone didn't take someone like that you know major league ready high floor you know moderately high ceiling guy like that uh that didn't get drafted um was kind of a surprise and the other one Maybe it's just the timing of this, but I think you could make a pretty strong argument that the best college player in the 2022 draft class, Brooks Lee, didn't get drafted, and a bunch of other college guys did. Um, and that was a bit of a surprise. And I was looking at Brooks Lee's stats the other day. Brooks Lee had uh, 14 walks to three strikeouts. <laughs> Through the first 15 games of the season with like a 13, I don't even remember what the fuck OPS. And is is Keith Lawheim is the number one college player in the class. Uh Kyle McDaniel had him as the number two college player in the class behind Jacob Berry, who, you know, I think maybe the best college bat in the class. But the fact that, you know, that, that it, it, I think it's already hard to justify guys like Jace Jung and and Chase Delatter over uh over brooks lee right now and i think that may look a lot worse you know three months from now when chase delatter goes at the end of the first round and brooks lee goes like third overall in the draft we all have our thing that we do a little too much of and i pay a little too much attention to college baseball um and i think it's partially because baseball america loves to do that uh and that's one of my favorite things to really read up on um i think jacob berry is going to be awesome uh, he had an incredible year last year um, uh, for Arizona and then transferred to LSU so he could prove it in the SEC. And he so far has done exactly that. Um, the one thing is he strikes out more than he probably should, but I think that guy's going to be good. And if he plays third base, he'll, that'll work out. Um, I agree with you, though, on on uh, who got drafted and who didn't. I'm, I'm surprised by that as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think the, the college bats are always really tough to predict, too, though, because – Every time we think we have a surefire one, there's one that's a surefire that totally just didn't make it at all. Um, so, Becker, any thoughts on on guys who didn't get drafted? You want to name? Sure. I mean, kind of the, you know, everyone on this chat right now has done the 50 uh, 
round draft and hold on NFBC. And the guys that you draft at the end of those uh, types of leagues were not taken here. And I know why. It's it's really a different game. But somebody like Vinny Pasquatino, uh, uh, Juan Yepes, um, you know, Jose Miranda, as Star said. Shea Langoliers. I feel like Shea Langoliers went. No, not this run. No, he didn't, no, he didn't go in this draft. And, I mean, he's not exactly a bat first catcher, but still, I mean, he's going to be in the major leagues this year. So Yeah, yeah. And, and those Luis those Camposano will be also. Yeah, those, like those will either be, um, you know, they'll be drafted at auction um, or they'll more likely be waiver pickups when they come up. Um, but, yeah, they're, that's, they're not exciting players, but they could be potentially useful. Yeah, I, I heard that uh, in like one of those leagues outside of DC, some, some guy named Michael Becker might actually also be worthy of pickup. So this is how it starts: put a bug in somebody's ear and let it spread. All right, there's gonna, Jeff, a, there's gonna be a movie about about Becker making his major league debut at forty. <laughs> hey, I'm I got I got a few years before forty, but not many. Well, you got you got to work. You got to make your That's way right. up through the system. Uh, yeah. I'm a I'm a fast riser, but um, yeah, I suppose you're right. Forty yeah, is right around the corner for me. I think most of the league is now about to be over forty, so that that's a moment in time. Um, all right. Uh, I think that should cap us off here. Um, any final thoughts about baseball in general? Or should we let our listeners go? Just happy it's back. Um, I'm, I can't wait until the spring training games start. I think that begins on Friday. So we have box scores to check. Hopefully, uh, ESPN airs some spring games, maybe MLB TV, but, um, just to, just to see them playing in warm weather and that grainy footage or like the camera through the net, uh, bad camera angles. I'm ready for it. Yeah. I mean, as, from from a commissioner perspective, it is just such a relief to have to have certainty and this all this settled and just know, okay, we're going to have a draft. We don't have to make major rule changes for this season. Um, just just happy that things are going forward more or less as normal. The season's going to get started a week later. We're going to get one sixty two, and you know, just happy to have it back. I'm excited to see you know everyone either in person or or you know via the zoom or whatever in in a couple of weeks and in, in draft always excited for that sounds awesome uh podcast notes um just a final thought from me uh i think at some point in the near future probably not this week but at some point in the near future we're going to switch back to our weekly i'm assuming um and i think at that point you know we really want to make sure we start having all of you back on um so reach out to to any one of us if you're interested in getting back on the cast at some point in the near future and we'll line it up um and uh sean wherever you are we miss you and uh we'll talk to everybody pretty soon great to you everybody Baseball.